start. And it starts in two weeks. No, next week. When? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. Tomorrow. A.M. 9 a.m. I will be there. Do we have a theme? Okay. 9 to 11.30 starting tomorrow. If you love Jesus, be there. All righty. Galatians chapter 5 with Ephesians chapter 4. Because we're going to go right into Ephesians here pretty much so at the beginning. Hey, let's pray and let's get started. Lord, thankful for the people that you brought out today. I just want to keep in prayer. I know there's still a lot of families out there traveling with the holiday this last week. Keep them safe. Bring them back safe. Thankful for the time to be here this morning. We just want to let go of everything. Really just focus on you, walk in you, and just glorify you and always say and do in your name. Amen. We've been looking forward to, I have been looking forward to getting to this passage in Galatians and long for a long time. We've been going through our study in the book of Galatians, and I said, once you get to chapters 5 and 6, you really get to some amazing practical application. And that's what we're going to start getting into here today. I love this because it takes how we're supposed to live the life. We talk about it, we talk about what to do, what not to do, but we're actually going to take this now and put this into practice. Now, with that being said, you see the bookends of what we're going to do here today. As verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Jump ahead, if you will, to verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's kind of the bookends that we have. This idea of a walk. You're choosing. You only have two options in this world. You're either going to walk in the Spirit, or you're going to walk in the flesh. That's really what it kind of comes down to. And you have to choose where you're going to walk. Now, we use this term a lot as a Christian. This idea of a Christian walk. We'll ask, how's your walk going? Where does that come from? Well, jump ahead to Ephesians there like I asked. I just want to share a couple verses with you real quick. Look at Ephesians 4. Verse 1, we could go to almost any book in the New Testament and find verses on the idea of a walk. But there's a lot of verses here in chapters 4 and 5 that I think are so important. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. Same chapter, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Verse 2 of chapter 5. Walk in love. Verse 8 of chapter 5, you were once in darkness, but now you are in the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And then verse 15, same chapter, see then that you walk circumspectively, not as fools, but as the wise. This is where that phrase comes from, your Christian walk. It denotes action. Please note, it's not the Christian sit, it's not the Christian stand, it's not the Christian sleep. It's this idea of walking and you have two choices, flesh or the spirit. Flesh or the spirit. The actions we do, the words that come out of our mouths, what we think, what we say, is either going to glorify the Lord and take us deeper in our walk and relationship with Christ through the Spirit, or it's going to feed this flesh. What is the flesh? The flesh is, is your natural desire. Some of your translations caught your sinful cravings. What does that look like? Well, in verses 19 through 21, you have quite the list of what it looks like. Lusting, women, drugs, alcohol, but there's also the unseen things. Pride, lazy, gossip, unforgiveness. Take a look at the flesh here in verses 19 through 21. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries. And we're going to get to that here in a little bit. 
So often we talk about what we're supposed to do, but Paul here through the Spirit is going to start out with, hey, these are the things to stay away from first. This is the flesh. And if you stay in that area, if that's what you feed yourself, it's going to destroy your walk with the Lord. Look so much that it says in verse 21, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty straightforward passage. That if those are what you practice, you have to step back and say, am I really a born-again Christian in Christ if that's what I practice? Now, see, the problem is we struggle with this idea of flesh and spirit. You know, there's a side of me that I want to serve the Lord with, and there's a side of this flesh. And it's an ongoing battle until the day I die. Ongoing battle. I don't know if you've ever heard the analogy of the two dogs, but I've always enjoyed this when it comes to the flesh and the spirit. It says, imagine this, that you're an owner and you have two dogs, and they're identical dogs. They're the same size, same age, same breed, same everything. Which of the two dogs is bigger? The answer is, it's the one that you feed. And the same thing happens spiritually. There's a fleshly side of me and there's a spiritual side of me. If I feed the spiritual side, that side's going to grow. I'm going to go deeper in my walk in relationship with Christ. If I feed the fleshly side of me, that side's going to grow. And what we're doing here today is saying, which one are we feeding? It is a battle. Take a look at verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Once again, two options. I'm either walking in the Spirit or fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish Boy, is that you? These, I don't want to do this. I don't want to say this. I'm in the middle of this conversation. And I feel it getting more tense. I don't want to say this, but it still comes out. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to dwell on that. I don't want to harbor that. But yet my flesh keeps wanting to do it. So therefore, I go look at verses 19 through 21. It's like, yeah, I do that. Yeah, I do that. Great. According to verse 21, am I even saved now? It's a pretty powerful passage once again. I also told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the key word, though, is there is practice. That's a really interesting Greek word. It, it literally means this idea of exercising. literally means practicing. It shows a continuous action. So what Paul is writing here through the Spirit is, is this where you planted your life? If this is where you planted your life, you're in trouble. Because this is what you're practicing. This is what you're exercising. But what happens if I stumble into this? What happens if I sin? What happens if I commit one of these? Well, let me tell you this. What would happen if I'd go out today and I decided to go out and run? And I struggled to get a quarter mile in. I show up the next day and I tell you I'm a runner? No. <laughs> no. It takes a little bit more to be a runner. What would happen if I pick up a guitar and I learn one chord? Well, now I can play guitar. No. You're not practicing it. You're not exercising it. It is not a continuous action. What's happening here is Paul is saying, if this is how you live, if this is what drives you, you have to really stop and look at yourself spiritually. To build on this a little bit, go with me to Romans chapter 7, please. Romans 7. In Romans chapter 7, Paul breaks this down a little bit more for us. But I want to focus right now with just one verse. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. Now, this is the problem with the English language. If you take a look at verse 15, I see doing, do, 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 and do. 
I see five different words there. In the original Greek, there's actually three different Greek words that all mean something different. Now, the problem is we all translate it the same. So, what we read, well, what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. But this is what it's literally saying, the three different words. And let me break this down. I'm just going to kind of give you what the literal meanings are as we walk through this. For what I am doing, I do not understand. What that literally means is what I am performing, what I am accomplishing in life. I don't understand why I'm doing it. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. Practice, that's the same word we just read in Galatians 5. The things that I want to make a continuous action in my life, I'm not doing. But what I hate, that I do. That literally means action one time. So what this verse is saying is this. The things I'm accomplishing in life is not the continuous action I want to have. Instead, I'm doing these individual acts that I don't like. See, that's us spiritually a lot of the times. Lord, this is not the person I, I want to be. This is not who I am. Why am I falling into this trap? See, you have to separate in your mind. Are you falling into the trap of sin? Or are you deciding to stay there and live there? See, in Galatians 5, Paul is warning, if you try to stay there and live there, you have to step back and wonder if you're even walking with the Lord. Do you even have a walk? Here in Romans chapter 7, Paul is saying, hey, as a believer, you're going to stumble and fall. So what we're going to do here this morning is this. We're building up to going through this list. But we have to stop right now and ask ourselves, first off, do I understand what the Christian walk is? Denotes action. Am I walking in the flesh or am I walking in the spirit? We have to ask ourselves that. Then we have to stop and ask ourselves, where am I planting myself? What am I doing? Where am I living? And that's what Paul is asking us right here, right now. So with that being said, let's take a look at Romans 7. Now, in Romans 7, I'm actually going to read this out of the New Living Translation. I love the way the New Living Translation reads this. I think it's very powerful. So it's going to read a little bit differently than what we normally do. But this is Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to go ahead and start here in verse 15. It says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm really not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what's right... I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. I love that passage. It's one of the most honest passages in the Bible. Is I'm not the person I want to be, but Lord, I want to be different. Now, what are we going to do with this information? We sit here and I hope things want to be different. The Lord is constantly asking us through the Bible, take a look at yourself. You know, before we do communion, we always stop and read the passage in Corinthians where the Lord says, examine yourself. Then we read the passage in Psalm 139 where it says, Lord, test me, try me, see if there's any iniquity in me. 
We talk about Paul writes in 1 Corinthians as well, where he says, test yourself. Are you really a Christian or have you been disqualified? This is something that he wants us to continually do. Ask ourselves, am I where I'm supposed to be spiritually? And before Paul in Galatians 5 gets us to what we're supposed to be doing, the fruits of the Spirit, he stops and says, wait a second. But are you living in areas where you aren't supposed to be? And that's the list that we're going to get to. Now, we just read in Romans 7, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will save me from this? And the answer is in Christ Jesus. And that's what we rejoice in. The answer is in Christ. If you came here this morning and you find yourself living in that Galatians 5 passage, amen, the answer is in Christ. Now, here's the problem. As we go through this list, as we talk about this, sometimes there's extremes that happen. The one extreme I see is what I call the people that mope. Oh, I'm a miserable person. I'm an awful father. I'm an awful husband. I'm an awful Christian. How can God love me? And they sit in this moping and despair and this discouragement. Hey, you know what Romans tells me? You're more than a conqueror in Christ. So you need to realize that you can die to that sin and move on. The other extreme, though, is the I people. I realize there's a lot that I need to work on, and I need to try this. I need to fix my marriage. I need to go deeper. I need to, and there's a lot of eyes. And they think that they can pull themselves out of this pit. Romans 7 says the answer is in Christ Jesus. You have to stop and realize I'm not going to sit there in despair and discouragement because I'm more than a conqueror in Christ, and he has forgiven me. But at the same time, too, I can't do this on my own. That's why Paul says, who will save me from this? The answer is Christ. And this has been an ongoing theme of human nature since the beginning. If you're a note taker, you can write this down, but follow this a little bit. See, in 1 John chapter 2, it talks about sin. And it breaks it down into three categories. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. It talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Every sin that you could ever commit falls into one of those three categories. Now, please don't stop here and start thinking about every sin and try to put it in a category. Almost after every service I teach this, I have somebody comes up to me and, oh, I spent the rest of the message trying to find a sin that doesn't fit in those categories. Thank you for wasting the rest of the message. How about, just trust me on this. The sins fall into those three categories. It's either going to be your flesh, your eyes, or your pride. Now, it's really interesting that back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell, they fell in these three areas. The Bible says very clearly in Genesis 3 verse 6 that when Eve saw this, she saw that the food was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes. She saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. And she saw the tree was desirable to make one wise, pride of life. So those three areas that we fall today are the same three areas that Adam and Eve fell in 6,000 years ago. And this is where it gets really good. It's the same three areas that Jesus defeated in Matthew chapter 4 with this time of trial in the wilderness. If you remember the three things that the enemy threw at Christ in Matthew chapter 4, the first one was change bread, excuse me, stones into bread. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. He was hungry. He was near death. What is that? That's the lust of the flesh. What else do we see? uh, Satan said, Jesus, jump off the temple. Show everybody your God. Just don't do the cross. Well, that's the pride of life. Everybody look at me. And what else do you see? Lust of the eyes. This whole kingdom can be yours, Christ. Just bow down and worship Satan. So it's the same three areas that we battle today, or the same three areas that Adam and Eve fell in, and it's the same three areas that Jesus won. We have to keep that in our mind as we go through this. 
So this list is given to us, and we have to stop and ask ourselves, where are we going? Jump back to verse 17 here of Galatians 5. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things you wish. That's a battle. It's a battle in your flesh. It's a battle in your spirit. And the question I ask yourself, which one are you going to feed? In fact, if you take this teaching even farther, according to Romans chapter 6, your flesh is dead. There's nothing to even feed. Imagine reaching that point where we really stopped and said, Lord, I, I get this. I have so died to who I am that that sin just starts to die to me. Oh, amen. Wouldn't that be wonderful? To reach that point of saying, Lord, I just want to so focus on you. The problem is there's always going to be this element of flesh in us until the day we die. And it's going to be an ongoing battle. You choose where you're going to walk. Be it walk in the spirit, walk in the flesh. You choose which one you're going to feed. You choose where you're going to live. I hope and pray as we go through this list now, we're not living in this area. So let's go and see what this list has to say. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are. Now, if I counted correctly, I think there's like 19 of them, depending on your translation. And each one reads a little bit differently. So I'm going to read it out of the New King James, and I'm going to kind of throw a few points out there. Now, as you go through this, I ask you, be honest with yourself. Prayerfully go through this. As we go through them, am I struggling with this one? Okay, I am. Lord, I need to confess this to you. I need strength. Maybe there's one you're not. I'm not going to try to make you feel bad. I'm not going to try to make you say, oh, no. No, if you're not, then amen. You have victory. Let's move forward. What's the first one? Adultery. Some of your translations, sexual immorality. Obviously, this means going against the bounds of marriage, the intimacy that's supposed to be between a man and a wife. But Jesus even took it one step further in Matthew chapter 5. If you even lust after another woman, you're committing adultery with her. In this world we live in, when things are just one click away on the computer, this world that we live in where you could stare and look at anything you want at any time you want, this is an ongoing battle. We have to stop and ask ourselves, are we living in that? Is that something we realize is wrong? Is that something we realize it's going to harm us personally? It's going to harm our marriage? And even if you're here this morning and you're single and you're an individual and say, well, I don't have to worry about this. I'm not married. You're going to bring baggage into your marriage. It's not worth it. What about the next one? Fornication. Any type of impurity, any type of sexual impurity there. Maybe not stuff about stuff in the bounds of marriage, but even outside of that, any type of sexual immorality. It's going to cause damage. It's going to be dangerous. One of the best analogies, analogies I've ever heard about this is the analogy of fire. Fire in a fireplace is good. It's warm. It's fun. It's inviting. Fire in the middle of your living room floor is really bad. <coughs> Things in the proper bounds of marriage, good. Outside the proper bounds of marriage, bad. Which takes us to the next one, uncleanness. Now, this does not necessarily mean being physically dirty. It's saying that life that is not clean in the Lord... It's not a life that's trying to be pure. It's not a life that's trying to glorify the Lord, which takes us to the next one there, lewdness, depending on your translations, levaciousness, lustful pleasures, debauchery. This is where you throw it all together, and you say, I don't care. It feels good. I'm going to do it. If that's what I want to look at, that's what I'm going to look at. If that's what I want to do, that's what I'm going to do. And any type of self-control goes out the window, and this is how I want to live my life, and this is how I'm going to live my life. This life of just lust and debauchery. Next one, idolatry. Now, this is one that we normally don't think about too much because when we think of idolatry, we think of little statues on a ledge that we bow down and worship to. And that's not something we struggle with in this society. But idolatry really is anything that you place in front of God. It's anything that you deem more important than the Lord. 
Now, we always like to say we don't do that. But really ask yourself. Sometimes it's things like promotions and money and pride. Sometimes it's household projects. I've seen people get caught up in remodeling and household projects, and that becomes their God. I've seen people take something that is good, and I mean this, it's good, but it becomes their God, their spouse, their kids. They focus all their attention on their spouse, on their family, on their children. And what happens is, yeah, you got a great, happy family, but you forgot the primary purpose of your life is to glorify God and see people get saved in Christ Jesus. You forgot the purpose of your marriage is not to make each other happy, but to be two disciples together making other disciples in Christ. Sometimes we've got to be careful what we place as the most important thing. Next one, sorcery, witchcraft. That can mean literally a sorcery or witchcraft, tapping into the demonic influences, the demonic powers. It can be something as simple as what we just joke around with, Ouija boards, this idea of uh, um, horoscopes, etc. It could get much more severe than that. That's a dangerous thing. We don't want to get anywhere near it. Next one, hatred, hostility. It just blows my mind when I run into believers that have been so forgiven by the Lord, they understand the love of Jesus, and they walk around with hatred towards people. Like if you mention a name to them, It just drives them crazy. And maybe it's not a person, but I've seen Christians have hatred towards certain groups in life, certain religious sects, certain type of things, and there's just this built-in hatred of them. Oh, man. First John, God described himself as God is love. Jesus said, you will know you're my disciples by your love. Which takes us to the next one. Contentions, discord, quarreling. Just always in that idea of that argument phase. Do do you know people it's just difficult to talk to? And you're afraid to say the wrong thing? Because if you say the wrong thing, you know it's just going to lead to something else. You know, we're supposed to bring peace and joy when we come into a room, but some people bring peace and joy when they leave a room. You know what I'm talking about? Contentions. You're afraid to have conversations with them. You're afraid to mention anything. You walk around on eggshells around them. That's an awful thing to have because you're always worried about what you're going to say because this person is so easily bothered, offended, quarreling, fighting. Oh, man. What happened just just to the peace and the joy of the Lord that we can just let things go? Next one, jealousy. Now, we'll build on this one a little bit. Some translations say emulations. You like that person. You like how they live. You like how they act. I want to be like them. It's not that I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like them. And then the problem is jealousy can go a little bit deeper. I wish my husband was like her husband. I wish my wife was like like her. I wish my house was like them. And what happens is you spend this life thinking about other people and what they have and how they live. And it would be nice. And it's just this constant discontentment with what God has given you. Because you're always looking across the fence. And what other people have. Outbursts of wrath. Fits of rage. Guy that likes to punch holes in the drywall. The guy that when he gets angry goes from nothing to something huge. And next thing you know you're screaming and yelling. Words come out of your mouth that shouldn't be there. Doors are slammed. Things are thrown. I've worked with guys that had fits of rage. And as soon as the project went bad, you got to hit the dirt. Because hammers are going to start throwing. It's it's lack of self-control. It's I'm allowing my anger and emotion to get to me. And usually when I run into people that deal with outbursts of wrath, fits of rage, it's always someone else's fault. Boy, if they just wouldn't push me. I told them. I told them as soon as I got into work today, today's not a good day. And if you push me, oh, come on. 
If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, the last fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We've got to be careful with that. And it can start so early. The, the boys were in the pool the other day, and what happened was Layden accidentally scratched Judah. And, and so, you know, the 7-year-old accidentally scratched the 10-year-old. And so what happened is Judah came over to Layden. He accidentally scratched me. Layden said, I don't think he did. Judah's like, I got the marks right here, you know. Let's get a DNA sample and find out if this really happened. Next thing you know, I'm watching this through the kitchen. I see Layden, two hands, right on Judah's chest. So now I step in. I come at you. Layden, don't push your brother. I didn't. Okay, well, you just lied, so we're going to mark that one right there. Uh, next one, you pushed him. So we go in, we talk about, I said, you push your brother, you're not allowed to touch your brother. I wasn't trying to push him. What were you doing? I was just, I was just trying to touch him. <laughs> no, you got angry, you got upset, and that's your reaction. Now, the problem is this fits of rage, outbursts of wrath, sometimes we let it go. We say things like, oh, he's got a competitive spirit. You know, they lost the game, they're just so, they're just so powerful. They're really passionate about that. Got to be careful with that. Got to be careful, because that... Supposed passion, that supposed competitiveness, that supposed whatever, can lead to many things. I've seen people in marriages, they're very passionate and competitive about winning arguments. And it becomes outbursts of wrath, fits of rage. Next one, selfish ambition or strife. You're not really thinking about souls saved, Jesus glorified, disciples made, people baptized. It's, it's me. I, what do I want to do today? What drives me today? What would be fun for me? Oh, this is entertaining. I will do this. And it's not about God's will. It's not about God being glorified. It's not about what does the Bible say. It's about what do I want. Selfish ambition, which leads to, some translations call it strife. Because when you're always putting yourself first, you're always going to run into arguments with other people. Because everybody wants to be first. That's what's so fascinating about Christianity. Where Jesus, God in human form, got down on the hands and feet and said, I'll wash feet. What an example. Next one, dissensions, seditions. This one is a little bit like we talked about earlier, contentions. But now with dissensions and seditions, what happens is you start forming little lines. Who's on my side? Who's with me? And we start seeing people as the enemy. Which takes us to the next one, heresies, which literally means divisions, factions. Literally, it means parties, like political parties, where now I don't like you because of what you stand for and what you believe. And so there's these divisions, factions, heresies. And what happens is when this happens in a church, oh, what an awful thing. I've seen it happen where churches, you get your little cliques, you get your little groups. we got a little ideas, and this is the way I think it should be done. Well, this is the way I think it should be done. And next thing you know, battle lines are drawn happens in churches, it happens in marriages, it happens in families, and it's wrong. Next one, envy. Envy is different than jealousy in this way. Jealousy is, oh, I wish I was like them. I wish my spouse was like them. Envy carries a negative connotation. Envy is, I am so jealous of you, I don't like you now. I don't like you. Because of what you have that I don't. In fact, I find a little bit of joy and pleasure when bad things happen to you now. Oh, it looks like Mr. and Mrs. Perfect aren't really perfect. You drive by the house with the perfect landscaping and you automatically hate them. And you start thinking things like all those kids in Africa that could have been fed. You know, I mean, because it becomes this envy, it becomes this hatred, it becomes this, I don't even know you and I'm judging you by what you have and what you do. I don't even know you, I see you at church for a little bit and you just got it all figured out, don't you? That's envy. 
and become sinful because I actually want to see you fall and fail so I feel better about myself. Next one, murder. Hopefully not literally, but according to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said if you harbor hate towards someone, it's the same as murdering them. That's one thing I'll never understand as believers. We have been so freely forgiven by Christ. Why would we harbor that hatred and unforgiveness towards anybody else? Next one, drunkenness. Drunkenness is exactly what it's talking about there. You're letting something else control you other than the Holy Spirit. You know, Ephesians makes it clear in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. The connotation of that verse is something is going to drive you and control you. It's either going to be the things of the world, or it's going to be the Holy Spirit. And so right here is what's driving you? What is letting you control you? But the drunkenness, you're deciding to say, I'm going to give my life over to this liquid This is going to help me feel good, whatever. And I tell you with the drunkenness, some people can't. Some people can't have one because one turns to two, to three, to four, to five, to six. You just can't. Next one, last one, I should say, revelries. Wild parties. Some of you have translations, orgies. This idea of we're just going to get together and do whatever we want, however we want. And it's just going to lead to problems. I had a brother in the Lord that really struggled with that. Got saved. It was really neat to see. He kind of moved away for a little bit. Came back. And he came back and he said, hey, I'm going to go to this party here. And I, and I remember telling him, don't, don't do it. You're going to jump right back. No, nope, I'm different. I'm saved. Now I'm a Christian. And he went right back into it. Next thing you know, he's passing out drunk because he went right back to where it was. Paul's telling us, stay away from it. Yeah, but they're my friends. Yeah, maybe you need to let it go. Well, it's my family. Well, then maybe you need to let it go. It's not that you're building a fort. It's not that you're saying you're never going to be around non-believers. But if there is that activity that's going on that it's not going to glorify the Lord, it's going to bring everybody down in the flesh, don't even go near it. Stay away from it. This is what Paul is trying to tell us. Now, the question comes up as we get ready here to close. Where are you at? If you are living in verses 19 through 21, as we read the word, let's look at verse 21 one more time. I tell you, as I told you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Practice, continuous action, exercising it, living it. And that's where you're living, verses 19 through 21. Paul is saying you need to stop and ask yourself, am I really where I'm supposed to be spiritually in the Lord? Now, if you are a born-again believer and you find yourself stumbling in 19 through 21, falling into that trap, Well, then maybe you're in Romans 7, where Paul says, these are not the things I want to do. This is not the person I want to be. But I keep falling into this. Who will save me from this? Oh, miserable person I am. And remember, the answer is in Christ. Remember, 1 John, everything falls under lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Adam and Eve fell there. Jesus defeated it at the cross and in Matthew chapter 4. So what I want to finish with is this. If time permitted, it'd be wonderful to go into the rest of Galatians 5 and say, okay, now let's talk about the good stuff, the fruits of the Spirit, but time does not permit us to do that. So we're going to stop here, and we're going to stop and say, okay, we're going to be honest with ourselves right now. Where am I at with this? And if this is something where you are convicted, this is something where you're like, I'm there, and I don't want to be there. This is how we're going to finish here today. The worship team is going to come forward here in a little bit. I'm going to be over here praying. Um, and so what we're going to do is, if you have anything you want to pray about, maybe you look at verses 19 through 21, you're like, I'm living there. You need to come up and ask for prayer. It's not that my prayers are any more important, it's not any better, but the Bible makes it clear in James, if you confess your trespasses to one another, 
there is a power in coming and saying, will you pray for me? Will you encourage me? Can you help? And we want to do that. So we're going to be up here being willing and ready to pray with you while the worship team is doing that final song. Now, during the song, you can come on up. We'll be sitting there. We'll be waiting. If you want to wait till after church, that's fine too. I won't be back there to shake your hands. Marv will close you out with a word of prayer. And please keep VBS in prayer. Please keep all these outreaches in prayer. And don't forget, tonight at 7, more than welcome to come out and join us as a church that just wants to pray and give these things over to the Lord. But I tell you this, I don't want you to leave today looking at this list saying, yep, things I need to work on. I'm going to try to get to that. Understand the seriousness of this. We're talking about your walk with the Lord. Go back to verses 16 and 17. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's an ongoing battle. Where are you going to walk? Where are you going to put yourself? Realize the power of the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit to have you become the men and women of God that you're called to be. Worship team, if you want to come forward here for the final song. Lynette, if you want to come on up here. Lynette and I will be up here. If you have something you want to pray about, we'll be more than willing to pray with you. If not, you guys have a good week. God bless. As soon as Marv's done with the song and close you out with a word of prayer, you're able to go. You guys have a good week and God bless.